0: If you'll find a copy of God's word to uh, Exodus chapter 12 In the coming weeks you're going to notice a difference in what the pews in front of you look like Uh, We are going to one translation of the Bible You'll find in, in the pews in front of you two different translations The NIV, which has been there for years And then on the end of the pews we have the ESV um, I preach from the ESV. That's what we teach and preach from. And so soon, uh, we're going to have large print ESV Bibles in the pews sitting on the, on, the, um, on the red covers there. And then the hymnals will still be uh, in front of you. And so when it looks different, when you come here, know that we have not gotten rid of the Bible. Uh, it's still there. Uh, that's really important for you to know. But we're going to be making that change soon. All right. We are looking at Exodus chapter 12 this morning. Uh, we are looking. We're finally getting the Israelites out of Egypt today. Uh, it's been a long, long time coming, uh, but today they leave. So let's uh, let's ask the Lord's help uh, as we come to this text. Father, we need your help. There's so much uh, in this text, um, your text, your Word, uh, which is true and living and active. Lord, you you have written it by the Holy Spirit through holy men. Um, Lord, help us send forth your Spirit, the same Spirit who inspired Moses to record these words, to help us to understand this text that it might be applied to our lives, that leaving this place we would be changed, having been grown in your grace. Um, Give unction and anointing to the preacher and hearer alike. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Exodus 12. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Rams- Ramses to sukkah about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock. Both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened bread, excuse me, unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. The word of the Lord thanks be to God. Have you ever been to the Atlanta airport? You know it's the busiest airport in the nation. I don't know where it stands in the world. Um, But think about all those people who have to move from concourse to concourse. From check-in to time to get on the plane, from bathrooms to, to restaurants, all the, all the places that people have to get. Did you know that on average, an average day, 260,000 people go through Atlanta? That's like the size of Montgomery. Everybody in Montgomery, woman, child, and man, going through the Atlanta airport on a normal day. Those are some pretty big logistical issues. To get that many people on their planes with, you know, uh, you know people get a little upset when their plane is just a few minutes late. I know I certainly do. You know, they've done a lot to meet all those logistical challenges. Even the lines of the architecture, of the skylights and, and the ceilings, they are meant to point you to where you're going. Even the tile directions and the designs on the floor, they've done studies to get you from point A to point B in the most efficient way possible for 260,000 people. Well, imagine the logistical issues for an entire nation of two to three million people leaving in one day from Egypt, where they have lived for 430 years and heading out eventually to the promised land. On the night of the plague, the last plague of Egypt, God himself passed through all of Egypt, as he had warned And every house that did not have the blood of the Passover lamb smeared, painted with a branch of hyssop over the the sides and then the the lintel across the top. Every house who did not have that blood, they lost their firstborn male child. When it says in the text, a great cry went out in Egypt, can you imagine the great cry? Perhaps some parents had stayed awake all night, knowing this had been said, but not really believing it was going to happen. But just maybe hedging their bets to stay up. Perhaps someone has awoken from next door as an elderly mother finds her firstborn in bed dead. Judgment had come to Egypt. The Lord had promised it would come. He had given fair warning for a long, long time. God was bringing judgment upon Egypt for what they had done to his firstborn son, Israel. He was bringing judgment upon Pharaoh for his refusal to release his people. And he was bringing judgment upon the false gods of Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh sent word or either uh, either sent word for Moses or sent word to Moses. The Hebrew is a little ambiguous here. And said, look, it's time to go. It's, it, it's time. It's time. You don't have to go home, but you do have to get out of here. Leave now, go get out of here. Take all your people, all your flocks, all your cattle, and get out of here. And so, in one night, the people of Israel rose 600,000 men. And so, the numbers were probably totaling about two to three million ish. They left the land of Goshen where they lived. It was, you know, it's the largest migration in all of history. In all of history, the largest migration. Two to three million people leaving in one day. It would have deeply unsettled the economic and ethnic stability of Egypt. But it had long been promised that God would deliver his people out of the land of bondage and bring them into the promised land. They would leave in haste with little to no provisions. They quickly threw their bread, or excuse me, their dough. They threw it into their kneading bowls and, and wrapped it in their cloaks and bound it to their shoulders and, and got out of dodge, lest Pharaoh change his mind. They left in a hurry, but they didn't leave poor. Because God had given them favor as they had obeyed the word of Moses to go and ask for their neighbors for their silver and gold jewelry and clothing for provisions along the way. Provisions which would ultimately be used not only to fund their exodus but also would be used to build the tabernacle and all the needs of, of the uh, the Ark of the Covenant and all the gold and all the silver that was needed. It came from plundering the Egyptians, a word which is meant to think, make us think of, of the spoils of war. Long had this salvation been promised. Long has our salvation been promised. We've looked over the last several weeks, we've spent about two, three weeks now looking at the 10th plague promise, the 10th plague coming, and the Passover, now it's finally here. And we've looked at it uniquely, especially from how these things point us to our salvation in Christ. Today I want to do something a little different. I want to zoom the lens out a little bit. And see where we are in salvation history. And how this um, connects to the overarching story of scripture. And how we can apply it to our lives. I want to look at two questions this morning. And and the first is, how can I use my salvation to bless others? Throughout all of God's history, God has never intended for the salvation that comes to us. Or the Israelites in Egypt. It wasn't just for our blessing. It's for the blessing of those around us. And the second is how do we understand the reactions to the gospel that we see here in this text? And what can we learn as we seek to be a blessing to others about the potential reactions to our seeking to be a blessing to the nations? The first thing we see is this question, how can I use my salvation to bless others? We, we must say from the very beginning that any time that God blesses us with something financially, salvation, emotionally, whatever it is, that is not just meant for our blessing. It is meant to be a blessing for those around us, for the church, for our community, to the nations. This has always been God's design. And we're going to see how this text fits in that. We we see this design from Genesis to Revelation. It is the overarching story of Scripture that God is redeeming to himself a people through whom he will bless the nations. If we think about Genesis chapter 12. Just 12 chapters into Scripture. We see this explicitly laid out for Abram when he is called out of Ur of Chaldees. When he is called by God. What do we read in verses 12 12 verses 1 through 3? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here it is, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had promised to Abram that he would have a family and that through his offspring he would not just bless Abram's family. His salvation was not just for him. It was for the blessing of those around them. Indeed, he would make him a great nation through which God would bless the nations. How would they bless the nations? They would, have, uh, they would be able to bless those around them in that they had the truth. While the pagan nations around them were worshipping false god, Abraham and his offspring would be worshipping the one true god. They would bless the nations by living according to the word of god and to the law of god. Accordingly they would value life instead of destroying it. They would deal fairly with others and look after the poor and the widow. They would be governed by the rule of law. Establishing justice and fair weights and measures. Have you ever been overseas to a country where there's no rule of law? I have. Um, to a couple different places uh, in which the rule of law might be written, but it's not what is upheld, even by those in authority. And my friends, that's a terrible place to be. They would bless the nations by calling them to salvation. Well, here's the thing they needed a greenhouse. Have you ever been in a greenhouse? My, um, my grandmother, Allback, we called her Ma Allback. Uh, she was an avid gardener. And I still remember, I can still smell the inside of her greenhouse. It was a pleasant place. It was a place in the wintertime where she would begin to pot what would, would soon be in her garden. Not just for her blessing, but for the blessing of all her neighbors. Her garden was gorgeous in the front yard and in the back. And she would take uh, those seeds and she'd plant them in the pots in the deep, rich potting soil. And she would water them and the heater would be turned on. Just I mean, she would, she would check this thing three or four times during the day to make sure it was right. So that they would be ready to be a blessing for the others. Well, the problem is that when God's people, through Abraham, when Abraham's fourth generation came, what do we find? We find Isaac's twelve boys. Who had become the fathers of the tribes of Israel. Jacob, Jacob's boys, sorry. They only numbered about 70 people. How in the world were 70 people going to be a blessing to the nations? Well, they needed a, a greenhouse. They needed to grow. And where did that come? That came through affliction. We see this in Genesis 15:13 through15, is promised. What they've just experienced, what we've just read, leaving Egypt, this was all planned. Genesis 15:13 through15. Then the Lord said to Abram, "Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners on a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions." What have we just read? They've just left with great possessions, with the Egyptians' jewelry, gold and silver and clothing. The hard truth is that the 430 years that Israel spent in Egypt was crucial for their mission to bless the nations. You know, even while they were there, they were a blessing to Egypt. Do we really think it's a coincidence That while they were enslaved there, that Egypt thrived economically and culturally and militarily. It was because God was blessing the nation of Egypt so that he might bless his people. So that they might bless the nation's long term. And even in the plagues, the ten plagues, there's great blessing. Because God was patient. And many, many people came to know the Lord who were Egyptians. They would eventually be established as a nation in the promised land. And we see at the height of their expansion, the glory days of David and Solomon, how the nations would come to Jerusalem, like the Queen of Sheba, to be blessed, to learn, and to consult the prophets. They would be a a blessing to the nations. But long term, the people of Israel could not obey. They would not obey. But God had, from the beginning of all time, he, this, his plan wasn't foiled by the disobedience of his people. He had a bigger plan to bless the nations, which is good because we're the nations. We're the Gentiles. We're not his ethnic people. I don't know if there are any ethnic Jews here or not. but Praise God that he chose to bless the nations. But he would send forth his son to be the true blessing of the nations. Verses 7 through 9 of Galatians 3. Know then that it is those with faith who are the sons of Abraham... And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. We start in Genesis. We start in Genesis. God calls his people to be a blessing to others. We see that it is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Who is has saved not just the ethnic Jew, but the Gentiles like you and me. And we look forward today in Revelation. We've begun our process in Genesis and we'll end it in Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, this is the goal. That the nations will be blessed and brought into the true promised land of heaven. And after this I looked and behold, John writes, a great multitude, note that word multitude, we'll see it later, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation. From all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You hear that? The Lamb. Clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How does this happen? Because God's people are called to be a blessing to those around them. We are not just called to be God's people who meet here once a week in the four walls of this gorgeous 1922 building. As wonderful it is. We are God's people and we are called to be a blessing. Not just to the folks in this room, but to wherever we are. Where we work and we live and where we play. And so I ask you this morning, as a true son of Abraham by faith. As a child of God. How are you using your salvation for the blessing of those around you? Is it in your mind, is it just in my mind, something that I get to enjoy that has no bearing on those around me? Or do I see what God has done for me and see the Egyptian next to me and see the person with no hope on the other side? To see to someone of a different background than me or someone who is struggling, do I see what God has done for me is preparing me to be a blessing to them as one whose heart has been transformed, seeking the transformation of the hearts of others. There are a lot of ways we can do this. It's, it's just like Israel of old. We have the truth, not something that we are prideful about. There's nothing to be prideful because it is a gift to us. It is from the, the word of God and is not meant to be kept In my own hands, but but given to others. As we live according to the law of God, think about, think about, think about what the ball field might look like without the yelling at the ref. Think about what the workplace looks like when believers act like believers and serve each other rather than jockeying for position. Think about what it means for us to be transformed by God And then to reflect his light into whatever sphere we are called to be in. So that we might not just be be blessed, but be a blessing to others. I have here a sticky note. 79.5% of the church budget goes to fund my sticky note problem. Uh, If you've ever been in my office, I love sticky notes. If you've ever received a call from me, it's probably because at some point your name appeared on a sticky note in my office that I might remember. This is uh, from a book, from a commentary I'm reading on Exodus by Philip Reich, and a fantastic book. And I have a a a windowsill that is uh, where I keep all the books I read weekly, the ones I need week to week. And and this was a bookmark. And and if you could see it, you would notice that it's it's kind of a, a yellow green here where it was inside the book, but outside the book, where it was exposed to light, it's now just a pale yellow. It didn't happen overnight, did it? It happened over time. What happened to it? It was exposed to sunlight. And so we as believers, we have been exposed to the Lord God and the light of the world has come into our lives. And we over time are changed by exposure to him through his word, through walking with him, through time in church and the sacraments and prayer. And then as we act as mirrors or like a moon that has no, no light of its own but reflects the light of the sun. And so too others may be transformed by us as we seek to be a blessing to others. Now it was a blessing to the Egyptians that the Israelites were there. It wasn't good, they had done it, they enslaved them. But it was a blessing. The problem is that not everybody responds to the blessing as we seek to be a blessing to others in the same way. The Lord must heal their hearts, the Lord must change them. He must be the one to transform their hearts, just like he has transformed ours. And we see in our text a myriad of different reactions. To the coming of salvation and the good news. Let's, let's look closely at our text now. The first is that we see the reaction of Pharaoh. In verses 31 through 32. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said up. Go from among my people. Both you and the people of Israel and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said. Be gone and bless me also. This first reaction to the good news is that of relentance, but not of repentance. I don't think relentance is a word. Uh, He relents, but he does not repent. He relents, but he does not repent. He is confronted very clearly with the fact the Lord God, Yahweh, Jehovah, is more powerful than he is and his gods are. That God himself is the one true God and that he, God, is opposed to he, Pharaoh, his heart and his behavior. And yet how should he have responded to this? Pharaoh should have called Moses and said, Moses, forgive me. Help me to know how I can be forgiven before the Lord God Almighty for all that I've done. Of course you can go, but don't leave without taking me with you. that I might worship the Lord God with you. Forgive me. But of course that's not how Pharaoh responds. He relents and lets them go. We know it's not repentance because only two chapters later in chapter 14, he's going to lead his army out to kill everybody. We know it's not repentance. You know, this type of reaction helps us understand how people can know that God exists and yet not come to worship the one true God. The demons know beyond a shadow of doubt that God exists, and yet they do not nor ever will worship the Lord. This is how people can look at the stars and say that they happen by chance. I have someone that I know well. You don't um, know this person, but I once had a conversation talking to them about their salvation. They say, "You yeah, I know I'm going to hell, and it just doesn't bother me." That's the hard heart of Pharaoh. As we look at the reactions to salvation, this is if we, as we think about the four soils in Matthew 13. This is this is the, the hard soil, the, the 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 ground, the rocky ground, is along the path. Does not bear any fruit. Well, that's one reaction. Another reaction, as we see with the Egyptians, verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. What is it that the, the, most of the Egyptians are concerned about here? What is their concern? Were they primarily concerned with the fact that they were guilty before the one true God? Were they trying to figure out how they too might serve Yahweh and be saved from judgment? You know, if you had seen your firstborn die that night, you would think that you might wonder, how can I get right with this God? But instead of dealing with the underlying issue of their guilt before God, they only wanted to deal with the symptom. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow when anyone, believer or unbeliever, that, that you feel bad when you sin. When you do something bad, oftentimes there's remorse. Especially when you see it when it's hurt somebody else or especially when you've been caught. I sure am sorry I did that. I sure am sorry I got caught. That is not godly sorrow. The sorrows that I personally have transgressed the law of God. There's a big difference there. This reaction is seeking to deal with the the problem, excuse me, the symptoms of the problem, the effect of the problem, without dealing with the problem itself. We see this all over our society. How do people generally deal in our society when they feel bad about something? By getting busy. I think a lot of the business we see in our society is just frantic movement. So I don't have to, they don't have to, who it is, sit down and actually have silence in my own head and deal with the mess in my life. Or, or, or outward religion. You know, of, of even church attendance. Church attendance is great. But they will not save you. Or doing good things or getting wrapped up in your children. Those are good things. But when they are meant to distract us so that we don't have to deal with our, our lack of a good relationship with Jesus. It just leads us to damnation. And it's a dangerous thing indeed. As we seek to be a blessing to others. This is how people can look you in the eye and just not care. But we must press in my friends. We cannot offer people a skittles. When nitroglycerin is needed for a dead and dying heart. This is often what we do, isn't it? Yes, pray for someone when they're having a hard time. Yes, enter into their grieving. Yes, enter into their suffering. Those are great things. But tell them about Jesus. Pray for their soul. Are we willing to lose friendships? So that we might tell others about the only thing that will keep our friendship going beyond the grave. You heard the Michael W. Smith song, Friends are Friends Forever. If the Lord is the Lord of Them, that's what it's talking about. Well, we see with Israel there are two reactions, actually. There are many in Israel who believe, who have been changed and transformed and converted. Some have been walking with Jesus beforehand, some had not. Some truly trusted in the blood sacrifice, knowing that they too deserved death in their household and imitated their father Abraham and believed and it was counted to them as righteousness. Genesis fifteen six. No one has ever been saved by obeying the law. It has always been faith in God. So I think in our modern day times, these are those who hear the good news and see the wonder of God in creation and respond in faith as the spirit works in their hearts and believe on the name of Jesus for salvation. They, we are headed, just like the Israelites to a promised land, but this one is brighter and fairer. The spiritual Israel. we're not saved by being born into a certain family or race. No one never has been. We are saved by calling upon the name of the Lord. But there were a great many others in Israel who did not believe. We know this because soon when they get to Mount Sinai and Moses tarries from coming down, what will they do? They'll build the golden calf and lay down and worship it. Not out of belief, but out of unbelief. They will rebel in the wilderness against Moses and against God. Not out of belief, but out of unbelief. They will refuse to go into the promised land. It is possible to be part of the covenant community of God outwardly. And not truly be a believer. Let me explain what I mean by that. It is possible to be a part of the outward covenant community of God and not be a true believer and enjoy benefits. If you are a member of a church, either this one or another one, and you really aren't a believer, there are great blessings being part of a church. Think about it. You have a pastor who prays with and for you. You have somebody you can go to when you have problems. You have members of the church who love you and will bring you a meal and be a shoulder to cry on. These are great blessings that you might receive whether you're a believer or not. That's what's going on here in Israel. So many people are truly converted and yet they experience the blessings of being part of the broader people of Israel. But ultimately, my friends, it is not whether you're in a garage, what doesn't make you a car, or being in a church, what doesn't make you a Christian, not outward religion, but a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. This is the good news that we have to offer the nations. It's not being signed up for a committee. Please, please serve on committees. It's not by being involved with VBS. Please be involved with VBS. Please, coming up in two weeks. It's not those things. Those things will not save you. There's no good news in those things. You cannot save yourself by good works. Jesus has done it all for you. He has paid every price. He has paid for every penalty. This is the good news. And this is the only thing that will save us. So we seek to be a blessing to the nations. We must know that we cannot control the reaction of others. It is only the spirit who can change someone's heart. He changed the, the spirit of the heart of my dad when he was in his 30s, after his mom had been praying for him for years. He changed the heart of my great-grandmother the day before she died at 98. After we have been praying for her for years. The spirit must do it. And we must pray. We must be soul winners. As we seek to reach the nations for Jesus. But my favorite group out of this text. Brings me great joy. It's what I've been wanting to preach on forever. Verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock both flocks and herds. Apparently there was a group. A large group. The Hebrew word which is translated here as mixed or multitude means many or much. I don't know how big this group was. But apparently it was pretty big. Of Egyptians. Who left with the Israelites. Now think about what had happened the night before they left. In Hebrew, that's the same day. In our thinking, it's the next day. They had lost their firstborn son. And their reaction to losing their firstborn son was to leave Egypt and follow God. their families must have said you are crazy you just lost your firstborn son and you're leaving with these escaping slaves this is what you're going to do you're going to turn your back on your gods and your culture and your economy and your jobs and, and everything you've ever known you're going to just turn your back on all of it including not even giving the death rights to your son but they knew there was salvation to be found in only one person and that was in Yahweh that was in God and so a mixed multitude, not just Israelites, not just ethnic Jews, but Egyptians, perhaps other slaves, folks who were living in Egypt for the same reason the Israelites were. They left with them because they knew there was only one name under heaven by which man is saved, the Lord Jesus Christ. They took up their cross and they followed Jesus at great cost. They would have headed towards the promised land. They didn't make it there because of the rebellion in the wilderness. But they did make it to the true promised land of heaven. And we'll get to see them there. So as we seek to be a blessing to the nations. That we might be part of that mixed multitude of people. Of every skin color. Every background on both sides of the oceans and the tracks. Heading to the true promised land of heaven. Let's take as many people with us. Let's tell as many people about Jesus as possible. So there might be a great horde of Brutonians and East Brutonians and Flomatonians, whatever you call those people, that our whole Escambia County would be well represented by people whose lives have been transformed forever, that we might see our friends in heaven. The ticket for this journey was purchased by the blood of the Lamb. God's got all the logistics figured out. The ways we prepared by the Holy Spirit and soon our true hope will return to collect His saints to dwell with them forever. Until then, my friends, we have a story to tell to the nations. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for working in our hearts. We have nothing to offer you. Nothing except our sin. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus by which we're saved. Lord, help us be faithful stewards of the gospel. Not being content to keep it to ourselves, but simply opening our mouths and talking about Jesus. Use us then, Lord, to be a blessing to the nations. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.